VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, good morning. It's Tim Powers here instead of Patty. Patty is off today. He will be back tomorrow. Happy to be with you on this first day of August. Can you believe that? It's August the 1st. Now, the uh, glass half full person like me will say, well, we still have half the summer to go. Labor Day is uh, is, is still five weeks away. The, uh, the, the pessimist will say, well, summer's almost over. Well, let, let's stay with optimism today because Lord knows there's enough pessimistic thoughts out there. Uh, good to be with you. So much we can dive into today, but I, I've, I've got to join Brian in expressing my uh, fondness as well for the now late, uh, great Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant O'Hara. Uh, those of us of a certain generation, particularly boys who grew up at the time, had a fond for Lieutenant O'Hara. She was my first crush. If William Shatner was was uh, Jerry Lynn's first crush, she was my first crush. My own simple childhood feelings aside, what a seminal figure uh, she was, as you heard her in the quotes played a moment ago. Uh, encouraged by Dr. Martin Luther King to continue in her role despite feeling that she wasn't getting enough of a role. The first interracial kiss, as Brian talked about. Um, for those of you who are young, who are uh, perhaps uh, too young to know who she was go to that great thing called youtube you'll see lots of clips of her i mean star trek the first one not the 45th generation the 100th generation whatever generation we're into now was a major show that changed so much about the way we looked at television but the way we looked at uh, at each other and the way we grapple problems of the day fun fact my late father went to school here in Ottawa with uh, William Shatner uh, briefly. Shatner and my father went to St. Patrick's High School here in Ottawa because I am here in Ottawa this morning. So there you go. Rest in peace, Lieutenant O'Hara. Forever I shall remember you. I hope you all had a great weekend. I certainly did. My son Patrick and I, we went down the road here to what they call the Glengarry Highland Games. Whoa, what a ton of fun that was. Um, there were thousands upon thousands of people glad to be back circulating in the town of Maxville, just outside Cornwall. Many of you know where Cornwall, Ontario is. Um, these Highland Games have been going on for well over 50 years. It's a big deal. Ran into so many people. Um, it's it's the regatta on steroids in terms of attendance and comparison. And it was great. The kids loved the petting zoo, the face painting. It was just so good to see people doing what people did before the pandemic. And the last time they had it was in 2019. Lots of traditional um, Scottish games, caber tossing, even some rugby played on the infield. And uh, they were having a couple of good parties overnight. Let me tell you, when we drove in in the morning, Let's just say we saw some people who had a little bit of a rough night because there were RVs parked everywhere. You can park your RVs. I think they really enjoyed the um, the traditional music the night before. We're looking forward to it again. They had a kilt race. And somebody asked me this. They said, Did, were they wearing anything under the kilt? Now, boy, in this day and age, you can't be asking that question. I certainly wasn't checking, but they had their kilts on and they were running and it looked like a hell of a lot of fun. So Patrick and I really, really enjoyed 
avoid that. If you ever get up this way in the summer, uh, if you get off, uh, get out of the province when travel gets a little easier, have a ch- check that out. The Glengarry Highland Games. They were a lot of fun. Now, a little bit more of a serious note to address because how can you not address it? So talking about Patrick again, earlier uh, last week, the opportunity for his hockey registration began. And I registered him. I had no issue registering him. I want him to to play sports. He enjoys playing sports. I firmly believe they're great character building, team building, life lessons, all done through that. And he has loved his minor hockey experience, albeit he's only at the beginning levels of the game. And whatever he does will be up to him and where he goes. And the hockey associations that I have dealt with here in Ottawa have been first class. The training that is required for parents, coaches, anybody associated with the game is, is second to none. It's important. It, uh, Sheldon Kennedy's well-regarded respect program is in place. It's, it's, it's excellent. Um, it does, as it says, teaches you about understanding different facets of the game, but from the human dimension, understanding people, how you treat people, what's acceptable in terms of how you work with others, what's not acceptable, um, provides a, a sense of what to look for in terms of bad behaviors and the like. And, uh, all of that is vital. Too bad it perhaps shouldn't exist at a higher level in, in Hockey Canada. But I, I suspect many parents and, and others are going through this now as we sign our kids up for the hockey journey. And a journey that I said has produced much reward, produced much great outcomes. Uh, look, in three weeks in St. John's, we're going to be celebrating the uh, the winning of the Stanley Cup by Alex Newhook. Big public parade, and that's important to celebrate Alex Newhook, his sister Abby, so many of their peers, great products of the minor hockey associations in our province. But it's hard, hard, hard not to feel some level of mixed emotions and strain about what is happening with hockey leadership in this country. And I come at this from a couple of different perspectives. First of all, as a human being, let me say outright, so there is no uncertainty, no equivocation. What allegedly happened in in, uh, London, Ontario in 2018, uh, that has been well documented, the subject of parliamentary hearings last week, um, if true, is wrong. It's heinous. It's terrible. And it does merit further investigation and understanding of what kind of culture creates an environment where allegations like that could potentially be accurate. If what had happened in Halifax, allegedly happened in Halifax in 2003, is true, that is also awful, horrific, not acceptable. Uh, the fullest weight of the law needs to be meted out on the people who were involved, again, if these allegations were true. We have this raging debate in the country about what should happen to Hockey Canada. And I want to hear from you about this today. Just let me give you a few thoughts. I know Tom Rennie, the former CEO. I've uh, gotten to know a little bit Scott Smith, the current CEO. How have I gotten to know them? Well, I used to be the chair of Rugby Canada, another national sports organization. Through the work there, I got to know these gentlemen. My experience with these gentlemen, albeit limited, I want to be 
very clear in how I state that is they are decent human beings. They mean well, um, and they are people of integrity. Now, many people uh, have called for um, Mr. Rennie is resi- uh, retired, I should say. Mr. Smith has been called upon to resign. Should he go? Should he stay? Many people say the only way to fix Hockey Canada is to rid themselves of the current leadership, including Mr. Smith and all his team, and to fire the board. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's not the answer. My concern with all of that is that's the symbolic aspect of that. That's a degree of accountability, potentially. But if the challenges are bigger, if the problems are cultural and systemic, firing the board and the CEO may feel great at the right time, but is it going to get to solving the bigger problems? And I worry about that. And I, I, I am of a view that let's see how this plays out and if real changes can get made. Maybe people are right. Maybe Mr. Smith cannot be an agent of change. I do not know. I just know him at a very personal level, and I believe he's committed to change. Yes, there's an argument to be made that for... 30 years almost he's been in that organization and he has to wear the, the works of that organization. So the board, as far as I know, is also a volunteer board um, who probably believed what they were doing in 2018 was making the best decision, subsequently learned that it isn't. All of this is really tough. And again, I don't want to get lost on the, what was the right decision in 2018 and what was the right decision in 2022. We need to address cultural challenges in all sports toxic culture where it exists needs to be pushed out we need to look at the relationship between what we want from our athletes in high performance sports and what we want for them as human beings but as a parent i worry about this i worry how it's going to affect the future of the sport the leadership of the sport safety in the sport and of course you you, you can't but feel for the victims and and think yourself could we have done something different as a fan as a parent to make a difference i know this is extremely topical i know there are minor hockey associations across the country that are re-examining their relationship with hockey canada i'd like to talk about this today hockey parents anybody from minor hockey if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it let's see what we can do to help to understand because we still need sport in our society we still need it it's good it's helpful when it's run the right way when the toxicity is gone when it makes a difference in the way people um, have the ability to participate but improvement and evolution absolutely fully on the table I'll leave it there on that, but uh, it's it's the, the conversation that has followed me for days and days with just about everybody, and I'm sure it's true of others. Other thing related to our kids, particularly those under five, between six months and five years old, now uh, parents can bring their children to get vaccines. Is there going to be a take-up? You may have heard Jerry Lynn Streeter on this earlier. Uh, the Streeter seemed to indicate, the people Jerry Lynn talked to indicated, that they are going to get their kids vaccinated. I just have my fourth vaccination, my second booster, as it is called. Um, it was it was not pleasant. It was Moderna. I didn't react well first time that's happened. But I say it so people know whether what I choose to do or not has any impact on you. I did it because I believe it's good for my health protection my family's health protection you got to make these individual choices kids going back to school children i think there's enough evidence to say vaccines have made a significant difference in in hemming 
in the COVID-19 pandemic and preventing it from being much worse. But if you're a parent, you want to talk about that? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about going back to school, though, as I say, still five weeks away. What are you concerned about as school returns this year? What do you want to see uh, happening as it relates to COVID health management? Are you worried about monkeypox, um, which has a less likelihood of transmissibility in uh, younger people, but still can be transmitted in certain settings. All of that, happy to talk about today. Want to talk about what's going on with the uh, state of political affairs. You may have heard uh, this morning we released a poll over the weekend, we being abacus. Things are things are restless in the country. Hey, Tim, state the obvious. Well, let me state it. Yeah, there's a lot of frustration and anger, and it seems to be focused right now on the liberal government. The prime minister has his lowest personal approving approval rating since 2015. His government has its lowest approval rating since 2015, 2015 being the year the liberals were elected. Uh, dissatisfaction with the direction of the country is as uh, high as it's been uh, since the Trump era. There had been an improvement. Um, now it's gotten worse. The conservatives lead the liberals by five points in our national poll. Mr. Polyev, who I've expressed concerns about, raised questions about, others have, is becoming a person who is more comfortably viewed by the Canadian public. He has a higher rating, overall rating, than um, than Justin Trudeau does. There's a lot changing in the land. Mr. Trudeau right now uh, vacationing in Costa Rica. I don't care where he's vacationing, and the man's entitled to a vacation, but I'm sure on his vacation he is reflecting about this. What does it mean? He's always showed an ability to bounce back. Can he bounce back now? But so much of our anger, it seems, that we're picking up in polls is around... Just a dissatisfaction with with all manner of things we encounter. Go to a passport office. Good luck with that. If you're trying to fight inflation, good luck with that. You're <clears throat> trying to deal with air travel. Good luck with that. Some of those things are improving, but people are blaming the government for all of that. So you want to talk about that, that poll, what you're feeling, what this may mean. Is it just some kind of summer Duldrum's poll, though important to point out that the Liberals have been slipping at least in what's called the horse race numbers, the top line numbers, over the last little while. So we're happy to chat about that this morning. And we're going to talk about the Canada Games. They start next week in uh, in Niagara Falls. I want to hear what's going on with the Newfoundland and Labrador team. We're going to do that very shortly. We're going to talk about whatever you want. And I bet, I bet, just based on what happened two or three weeks ago, we're going to talk about potholes. How are those friggin' potholes in the, the province i'm you know i haven't talked about potholes since i was on two or three weeks ago i want to hear about the potholes the roads remember it's take your crap to tim day here on monday august 1st and i am here to listen now if you want to get me uh, you can get me at openline at vocm.com you can get us on twitter at powers tim or best way traditional way pick up the phone dave will put you online we've got lots to talk about this morning 
And I will be back to talk to you shortly here after our first break on VOCM's Open Line. Good morning, everybody. Tim Powers in here for Patty just for today. We're going to go right to line three. Haven't talked to her in a while. Always enjoy our conversations. And who's the she? Helen Conway-Ottenheimer, the opposition critic for Justice Public Safety and MHA for Harbor, Maine. I'm so tired now, Helen, after reading out all your titles. How are you? I'm doing great, Tim. Thank you very much. How are you this morning? I I am fine. Now, you want to talk about the debate discussion about the need for a new uh, pen, HM, the pen that is actually in my neighborhood, my mom's neighborhood. Growing up, walked by that place all the time. The living conditions apparently are deplorable. What What's your take on it all, Helen? Uh, well, Tim, first of all, I went down to the uh, HMP uh, last week, and I had an opportunity to tour the facility again. Mm-hmm. And uh, first of all, I want to thank all of the staff. Um, the staff, the, they, were, they just took considerable time to show, uh, show me the conditions firsthand, and, and it was a very frank and, you know, it was a, it was a great discussion with, with the staff. Um, you know, some of the things that um, I witness, again, I'm, I'm, I still remain very concerned about the conditions down there, um, you know, in light of not only the extreme heat that uh, has plagued the place in the last number of weeks, but also when I recently read the uh, case uh, early July from one of our, our justices of the Supreme Court case, um, he uh, basically had indicated that the conditions were intolerable and unacce- unacceptable. Um, in fact, he pointed to the rat infestations, for example, and mm-hmm. how rodents are climbing into inmates' beds at night. I mean, that was documented, you know, and that obviously is of huge concern when we have um, those conditions that, um, that the inmates have to uh, suffer through. But it's not only the the conditions that uh, the, the the inmates have to uh, experience. We we know that the correctional officers and the staff also um, you know have to endure these conditions in terms of um, the problems that we see down there. And um, I, I'm very concerned about it, especially with respect to not only this Supreme Court case that came out, but you know we've seen a number of cases as well um, last uh, year as indicating that. Uh, these these conditions are deplorable. And what in fact happened with this case, uh, this recent Supreme Court case, the the um, judge um, indicated and, and issued six months extra credit for the offender because of having to endure those conditions. So we're seeing that people are also being released before their time mm-hmm. um, and before they serve their debt to society as well. So that that's you know a factor that has to be that has to be considered when we look at. Uh, these what's happening down there so let me quote an infamous uh politician who said it's not easy to make priorities uh and he of course didn't win because he couldn't make any um given where we are as a province right now all the other pressures we have uh the healthcare system of course being top of mind where should the building of a new prison be on the priority list and that's the first question second question coming off of that are we being morally neglectful here because it's a prison in making a quicker decision or 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 spending the money well first of all as far as the replacement of the penitentiary we know that this has been 
um, discussed, and, and it's been dragged out for, for many years. In fact, when I spoke to some of the correctional officers down there, they said, you know, they're, they're very skeptical and even cynical about whether that's going to happen. Um, you know, it's been 14 years since there's been talk about the prison. And, uh, you know, on that point, I do think it's important that we look at that as an important priority in terms of replacing um, the HMP and looking at a new facility. And there are many reasons for that. First of all, you know, we do know that there will be savings. I mean, we will save money if we focus the attention more on alternatives to incarceration for nonviolent offenders. Mm -hmm. So we have so many great organizations and groups out there that um, would support community-based, um, you know, alternatives, such as the bail supervision program. That's in its pilot. It's been a pilot project for years, and yet we don't see that, um, you know, focus or priority of government. That is a way to save money, but as well, it means that you will have inmates who are really uh, better served. These are non-violent, you know, offenders who can be serving their sentence in the community. They can be, um, you know, basically there can be a way to have them supported with treatment, with the necessary treatment that they need in the community. And we know that when you're, when you're talking about offenders who have, for example, mental health um, issues and drug substance abuse issues, you know, they're better, it's, it's more effective, it's been proven to be more effective to have them receive that treatment while they're in the community. And uh, so that's one option of saving money. That but is that, is, sorry to interrupt you, Helen, but I, this, this, this is where this debate gets interesting for me, because I think everything you've said is right, and there's a lot of science to bear that out. But then there's the politics of this, right? Uh, safety and security, it's all across the country as it relates to, yes, as you say, there may be programs that exist that more appropriately deal with uh, the, the person person's rehabilitation needs. But then there's the politics of lock them up, keep a, keep us safe. We don't, you know, we, we don't want to put people who've committed any, a certain degree of offense in the community. How much is just straight up politics influencing the delay here in getting a new HMP? Because I mean, that, that thing looks like it's about to fall down every time I go around it. But again, back to the, the, the other, the question I had, the second question I asked, I mean, how can a government say, yeah, HMP, whatever it's going to cost, uh, tens of millions of dollars ahead of emergency rooms? What, what's stopping this in your view? Well, I think, you know, when you talk about the politics and you talk about protecting society, and obviously we're all concerned, that has to be a priority in terms of protecting uh, our society and, and, you know, reducing the risk of um, individuals who come out of jail from reoffending. But we, it, it has been proven that the best way to protect our society is through the rehabilitation of our, of our offenders. And the other point on that is we look at the majority of offenders that are in confinement. They are um, people that are suffering from mental health issues. So, I mean, you know, that issue is very important. We need to ensure that, I mean, the, the best interest of our society is in having um, individuals who are not at risk, who are relatively minor offenders, having them serve um, their sentences in, in various ways in the community. We see there are, are real options there that can be utilized that will at the same time protect our society, but will also ensure that 
you know, the, the cost savings are adhered to. And uh, that is like we have the bail supervision program. Mm-hmm. That is an excellent program. It's been proven for people that are on remand in, in the facilities that they can, um, you know, basically be supervised in the community with very little risk to our society. So, um, you know, rehabilitation, we have to look at rehabilitation. We have to look at reforming our, our inmates so that they can be productive citizens. And otherwise, what we have now is a revolving door. We have a, a, a place where we're housing very, very sick people, mm-hmm. very sick people who really aren't getting the proper treatment in terms of their substance abuse and, and their mental yeah. health uh, needs. So, I mean, there's so many ways. The bail supervision program, we, that's a pilot project. We have the yeah. adult diversion program. It's a pilot project, but yet there's no focus on these. These are real sustainable measures to, you know, uh, accomplish the, the needs that we have. Of okay. money as well as rehabilitating our offenders, having a, a more um, and as well a more humane um, you know system in place. Because when we look at um, you know what's what's happening down there, um, it's very concerning. I mean, even the no one, whether they be a criminal or not, should have to uh, or rehabilitate a prisoner, whatever, however way people want to describe those people who are incarcerated. They're human beings uh, in the prison should have to sleep with rats. I got, got to give you about. 30 seconds, uh, Helen, before we go. Anything else you'd like to add quickly? I just, you know, we have to remember that the the well-being and the safety of not only the inmates, but also uh, the correctional staff, we have to remember that, you know, they need to have, um, you know, conditions that are are livable and uh, humane and tolerable. And right now we don't see that. And I think we have options that are available. We just need the government to look at that. We need the government to focus their priorities on that. Because we know that a new facility, if we're lucky, it will happen perhaps in five years. And if, if, if that's, um, you know, if that's really going to happen, uh, time will tell. But um, the government, the minister, needs to act immediately on improving the conditions in the prison by all means necessary until the new facility is completed. All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you, Helen. Good to talk to you this morning. Thank you very much, Tim. That was uh, Helen uh, Conway Ottenheimer, the uh, public safety critic for the PC Party of Newfoundland and Labrador. Just before we go, fun fact, although not so fun, a federal prison was announced for Newfoundland. Trivia question, do you know when? Here's a quick answer. 1988 federal prison was announced in 1988 by the Mulroney government. 34 years later, there is no federal prison for a bunch of reasons. Anyway, time for a break here. When we come back, uh, let's we're going to chat with Gary Martin, who's the chef de Michel for our summer, uh, summer games team in Niagara, Alice, and then Colin. All up next here on VOCM's Open Line. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. CM. We get people talking. Welcome back to Open Line. I got Belichick. Do you know what that means? My producer, Dave, told me to go to Alice first, and then I will go to Gary, and that's great. I'm happy with that. But you see, that's how Tom Brady left New England. Belichick just thought he knew best, but Dave does know best, so I'm okay with that. We haven't won seven Super Bowls yet together, but who knows? Uh, Alice, you're on line one. You want to talk about some dead birds in New West Valley. Tell us about that, and good morning. Good morning. 
Uh, yes, we're having dead birds show up into the community, and all around the waters, there's dead gannets and turs. And uh, when did this start to happen, and uh, what what do you understand is the cause of it? Uh, I don't know. I got a feeling it's that virus that avian avian flu. Yes, mm-hmm. and there has been birds right into the community. And they're just standing there, not moving. And, it, I mean, there's children around us, and the waters are full of them out here. Uh, eh, oh, that's that's not good. I know that if it is, in fact, uh, avian flu, people who want some information can go to the Birds Canada website, and it talks about uh, how to deal with it. Uh, and it says, don't feed the birds, do not touch sick or dead birds. And as you're doing, Alice, this morning, report sick or dead birds you find. Have you had the opportunity uh, to, to report that to the relevant officials? No, I haven't. Okay. I, there is people, though, I think, that has reported it. And just so people know, as they're listening, you can call the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative. Uh, you can call Wildlife Emergency Number in Newfoundland and Labrador, which is 709-685-7273, 709-685-7273. Anything else you'd like to add, Alice? No, I just want uh, to let you know and, and, and remind people not to touch them. And yeah, just... No. Yeah, because, like I said, they're right into the community on the yep. road. Yeah, ex- exactly. Don't don't touch them and call call some of the people I've talked about. If people have other questions, they can uh, call Dave here, and he will provide some of the information I just did. Thank you, Alice. Thank you for letting us know. Thank you. Okay, take care. Uh, all right, uh, from sick birds to hopefully what will be a joyful and healthy celebration, and that is the Canada Games. Many of us still remember the Canada Games that took place in 1977. I was, you know, but a speck of a, a child then, and how wonderful that was in, in St. John's and what it did for the city. We've also had other games in the province. Now we're going to talk to Gary Martin, who is the chef de mission for the Canada Games that are happening in Niagara Falls starting next Sunday, right? Gary, or Mondays at the 8th, they start. Uh, good morning, Tim. Actually, uh, we start on the 6th with the big uh, opening ceremony ah, at the okay. Meridian Center. Yeah. Well, I was in the general vicinity. I know it's next week. <laughs> my my niece, actually, I hope this works out, is she is one of the, the rugby players who's been selected as a sub for any of the teams. So I told her she could only play for Newfoundland if Newfoundland needed a player, should there uh, be an issue there. But uh, we'll see if we can get her a Newfoundland cap and she can follow in her uncle's footsteps. How are How's our team? looking how's everybody as you gear up to head uh, to niagara falls i think the team is looking great uh, we had our athlete rally there on the 19th of july uh, as you're aware tim there was a, a delay with covid yeah so everybody is just chomping at the bit uh, you know it was a little bit of a struggle there to get competition in and everybody was training training in their garages mm-hmm. uh, because of the delays but uh, i think uh, our teams have been out now recently since the um, restrictions have lifted and have been to competition, you know, in different places in the Atlantic region, in Ontario, in Montreal, just sort of seeing where they are. So um, everybody is excited, I think, to get going. And, 
I think these games um, will be a little on the unique side as we look to stick handle our way through the the various you know medical potentials, whether it's mm-hmm. COVID or the monkeypox, and uh, and uh, I think a lot of things are up in the air. So, um, are, are they still? So, sorry, I was just going to ask, and you're right. The, the stick handling of the medical challenges will be we will be a big thing. I, again, just judging from my niece's reaction last week when she was notified that she was at least going to the games. I mean, she was so excited. And I remember lots of friends uh, and peers who had the opportunity to go to the games, and it was a big deal. Is it still a big deal for these athletes, still a great achievement for the athletes and their families? It's 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 a really big deal. Really, the the Canada Games is a is a multi-sport national event. So it's like it's like having 19 national tournaments mm-hmm. in one location at one time. So for many of the athletes, I think it, it will represent the pinnacle or the highlight of their athletic careers. And I guess most notably is many of Canada's Olympians uh, come. Andre de Grasse being one Games. of them. Yeah, Canada yeah. come from the Canada Games program. So uh, it's it's uh, you know most of the PSOs and the teams take it very seriously. And uh, as I said, it's it's a, it's a national competition, of multi-sport. But you know, the games are are kind of unique in that there's a real. There's a festival component, mm-hmm. a big festival component, 13 for 13. Uh, they've got Pride Festival mixed in. There's, you know, the athletes learn about sustainability and pieces of the environment. So it's a re- it's what sport is all about, really. You've got the competition on one side, but it's all these life skills and everything as well that are really knitted and, and weaved into the fabric of the Canada Games program. And that you've opened the door to something. I'm not going to ask you about Hockey Canada, but we'll know, you know one of the criticisms of high-performance sport at the national level is it doesn't do what you just said. It doesn't expose athletes to broader life, and as a consequence, they get trapped in their silos, and their athletic experience, while important, is so focused on performance and not interacting with other bits of humanity so that is good to hear but on the on the high performance side i do remember my good friend rod snow when he was in in your role and and others who've been in your role talking about you know newfoundland does have this bit of a disadvantage because as you pointed out everybody had it i guess last time with covid this time with covid but we some of our sports don't get the same degree of competition as others we don't necessarily focus the same resources on some of our sports as other problems provinces do so when we go to the games it can also be a deflating experience because the placing isn't where some of the athletes hoped it would be how are we doing on the high performance part as it relates to giving our athletes the opportunity to be ready for competition well I think uh, Rod and his folks at the at the center we've had a lot of our teams with some uptake there as well and we've, we've, it's interesting you ask because we, we took an approach. Uh, we had Dr. David Hancock, um, mm-hmm. uh, I guess a, a, co- a coach over at Munn, uh, work with our team actually. And we worked really with the whole, we took a little bit of a different approach. While the teams work individually with Dr. Hancock and Dr. McGowan in their individual sport role, we took a, an approach to try and sort of shift the culture a little bit of the contingent that, hey, we can be competitive. And we asked, you know, 
we took an approach of do your best. Every, we want everybody to do their best. And in terms of, uh, we had several sessions with Dr. Hancock, and uh, I guess part of this uh, team is, is as we look out to 2025, you know, this is not a piece that will change overnight, but we've started with this now for 2022, and then we have a couple more cycles of games to sort of change the whole culture that we can be competitive, mm-hmm. do your best, and sort of a whole approach of, of not to be intimidated by the other because anything can happen. Sport, as yep. you know, anything can happen in the game or an individual swimming event, uh, in, a, in, a, in a wrestling bout, you know, anything can happen at any given time. So. And look again. I don't want to speak speaking around it because it's not fair to put you on the spot. But you are the head of a head of a team, and I find when I ran Rugby Canada when I was the chair, and uh, I see it now with hockey. More parents are asking about safety and well-being, and the government has mandated that, and their right to do so. The federal government of how we need programs in place, and we need to have uh, educational and prevention strategies in place. How has that changed this? Games. You talked about the interactions that are going to happen, the cultural interactions, but how are we protecting our athletes? How are we keeping them safe, not just from from uh, from um, uh, from the COVID-19, but other things that could impact them, their mental well-being, uh, abusive coaching, all of that? How are we protecting our athletes? Because, as I say, it was the question I get more often than not when I was finishing up my time at rugby. Well, I think there's a couple of pieces. There's the, there's a Canada Games Council have mandated the Safe Sport Program, which is an yeah. online education piece that all the coaches have to be engaged in. Uh, now we're moving to a rule of two practice yep. uh, with the athletes, you know, and of course our own. We have our own checks and balances is from team from the you know, criminal records checks, vulnerable sector checks, and um, and I think those types of things are, in, and are ensuring that we've all, the Candy Games Council have also launched a 1-800 help or hotline that all athletes will have access to as well. And, um, you know, I think it's the whole, we have in terms of, uh, of the support from our side of things, we have uh, mission staff people, as you're probably aware, that are in place to, to lend support to the teams and the coaching staff. And that will also, There's a fair amount of checks and balances in place, and uh, there's a true sport movement that's, mm-hmm. that's happening, you know, as well. So all those things, I think, you know, uh, come, come, come together with, um, with uh, helping that piece. Well, thank you for what you do, Gary. It is not easy to be a sport leader in these times because of all of the new pressures and challenges that come to the fore. I know you, you and your team don't duck them. You, uh, you embrace them. And uh, a reminder again how important something like the Canada Games is, the experience, the development, the fun, the lasting memories. So last question, Gary, how do you think we are going to do? Uh, not that medals are the most important thing, but how do you think we are going to do when the games are, are said and done? Where where's Newfoundland and Labrador going to end up? Do you think? I, I you know I, I, that's always a difficult question. You know I think we'll we'll be in the mix of where we've been in the past. Okay. Um, you know that kind of thing. So I mean we've got uh, and it's an interesting question you ask because often uh, people say, well, where's the medal going to be? And and the teams that I've you know talked with all the teams, they say, please don't say just in case, just in case. So, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that, uh, you know. But, uh, you know, I think there's a few areas 
that uh, that we uh, we could do well in, and okay. uh, and we're, and a lot of the athletes I know and talking to them are, are striving in the individual events for personal best, which yep. goes back to the to the goal setting that we were working with with Dr. Hancock. So uh, okay. I think everyone's excited to get there and, and get into the competition. Well, Gary, thank you for making the time. Good luck. Uh, we'll be watching, as I say, my recollection and what I've seen. It's a great experience. Uh, so many of those athletes, volunteers, leaders, you yourself are going to have a phenomenal time. And uh, soak it up. Enjoy it. Win a medal if you can. And thank you for what you do. Thanks for having us, Tim. I'd just like to wish all the teams, as they get ready to travel, uh, a safe uh, trip. And we'll see you in Niagara. All right, take care. Uh, that was yeah. Gary Martin, the chef de mission for Team Newfoundland and Labrador at the Canada Games. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Colin, who's been waiting, and we're going to get an update on um, on Brandon Tucker from his uncle Cliff. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Okay, welcome back. Going to go right to line three and talk to Colin about the Capitol riot hearings, the January, so-called January 6th hearings, which, if you've seen them on television, are captivating in their absurdity and in terms of the things that have come to life about how the United States was being governed over that, or not governed, wackily run over that uh, period in uh, 2021. Colin, how are you this morning? Very well, Mr. Powers. How are you on this first day of August? Uh, I'm glad it's just the first day of August. I want to soak up every day of August. But, geez, I saw, was it last week, was the last iteration of the hearings that were on television? Um, I forget. They've all blended together. Anyways, it's pretty pretty scary stuff. Uh, probably some of it not shocking because we've come to accept the um, delusion that is Donald Trump, my word, for describing the way he governs. But what's your take? on it all, Colin. Yeah, I agree uh, on the point about Trump, but it's not just him. No, it's not just him. That's fair, yeah. It, it's, it's the people that are under him, and he's, he's, like a, he's like a big pile of manure, and he just keeps attracting flies mm-hmm. in the form of Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff, uh, Giuliani, and, and others. And a lot of these people are uh, or were top-quality uh, lawyers. Mm-hmm. And they're all sat in a room, and they're trying to overthrow the uh, lawfully held uh, election for president of the United States in, in 2020. And uh, you just got to scratch your head. You just got to scratch your head that all these people, and again, most of them are lawyers, have you know, solid legal training and were fine, upstanding members of the legal community. Like Mr. Giuliani. Well, and Mr. Giuliani, to your point, right, was a hero after 9-11. You remember him walking the streets? Anyway, keep going. You go ahead. You know, and and all this stuff is coming out about Trump and and all these other people at the highest levels of the American government. Mm -hmm. And uh, you got Merrick Garland just sitting on, uh, apparently, sitting on this. And when he does do an interview uh, with the cable networks, uh, you know, he just gives a pretty uh, boilerplate response uh, when he's asked, is Trump going to be prosecuted or anybody else going to be prosecuted? Uh, his response is pretty much just generic. You know, we will hold everybody accountable. Uh, nobody is above the law and all this sort of stuff. All this stuff's coming out about Trump and, the, and other people around him, what they tried to do. And, you know, the, the most scary thing about this is this all came down to the counting of the votes by uh, or certifying the votes by uh, Pence 
in the United States Senate that day. Mm-hmm. If, if he had to do Trump's bidding and do what Trump wanted, that country would have been in a constitutional crisis that it hasn't seen since the American Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, no, Pence did the right thing. Pence did the right thing, and it would be fascinating to see if he runs for president. I, I don't have a lot of time this morning, Colin, but I do want your take on this. Is Trump in line to win the Republican nomination, and could he be the president again? I think so. The, the, the three I's. Okay. It's the three I possibility. Letter I, one is insolvency. Mm-hmm. One is indictment slash incarceration, and the other one is called an infarct. He has a heart attack or a stroke, which is entirely possible given his health and his uh, and he is in his mid to late seventies. You know, look look at what he just down in Georgia. You got mm-hmm. the DA for Fulton County, uh, which states in Atlanta down there. She's looking at him. What he did? He called up the Georgia Secretary <laughs> of right. State and tried to find eleven thousand. Yeah, find me eleven thousand votes. I know. Seven hundred eighty. He lost mm-hmm. by seven eleven thousand seven hundred seventy nine. He wanted to find one more vote. You know, yeah. and this is all recorded, and it's just nothing happening to him. You know, I think there's an overwhelming public interest in seeing that he's prosecuted, mm-hmm. and I think there's a reasonable prospect of getting conviction. This has nothing to do with politics. Let the evidence fall where it may, and let the facts be drawn from that evidence. I give him all of his due process rights, his mm-hmm. right to counsel, and his right to be presumed innocent. Give him his day in court. And if he ends up convicted, give him his right to appeal. And at the end of the day, if he ends up convicted, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only way to deal with him is to is to win by process uh, and not circumvent it and make it as open and transparent as you can. And it's it's staggering. I think we've all become so immune or stunned or taken in by the white noise that is Trump to forget to not accept the reality of what you're talking about and what you've raised now, how terrifying uh, <clears throat> his uh, potential return could be and how he needs to be held accountable for what he did. i got to leave it there, Colin. Always appreciate our chats. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Powers. Okay, take care. Uh, Cliff, uh, you're online too. Uh, you're the uncle of Brandon Tucker. You wanted to give us an update on circumstances surrounding Brandon? Hi, there? Yeah. Hi. Uh, Hi, Cliff. so much. For, uh, for taking the call. Um, no problem. Yeah, so uh, so unfortunately, Brandon Brandon is still missing. Um, but what I what I wanted to update is uh, is what we are offering a, a ten thousand dollar reward uh, for the person or, or group, I suppose, of people mm-hmm. that uh, that can find him and physically recover him. Uh, so we're, we're we're looking at this point, like the theory that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Is that is that somebody somebody has Brandon, and um, and and we're hopeful that this uh, will 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 help you know essentially bring that person forward. I mean you know for the for the family and for our, for all of his his loved ones, um, he's worth he's worth a lot more than that. Uh, but uh, we think that if you know if this is the time when everybody who has you know an abandoned building or a shed or you know, a camper you haven't been to for a while, and that's not quite yet out in the hunting season. But if there's any possibility to get out there um, and and look through your buildings, uh, that could be where 
where Brandon is. Um, okay, I, and I just yeah. want to stop there for a second because, again, so people understand this correctly, I, I now get what you're saying. Has in, as in Brandon may be using somebody's abandoned facility, not has as in has uh, detained him forcefully, that he, he is using uh, somebody's facility, has taken uh, a rest, uh, is, is, is using one of those facilities to do whatever Brandon needs to do. Is that correct in the, what I'm assuming here? This is what you mean? I mean, essentially, yeah. Like, we're, we're definitely looking for somebody who has talked to Brandon, who okay. can verify that it's Brandon. Okay. Um, you know, not we're, we're not looking for, I think I saw him, you know, a few days ago uh, without any, you know, any, any actual information. Uh, so this is, this is definitely, you know, something more concrete. But I just want to maybe maybe be more precise. You're not you're not saying you believe Brandon has been forcefully taken. Just so we're very clear here. Well, we just like we don't know. Okay. Uh, ultimately, right? I okay. mean, yeah, I mean, obviously the RCMP are are on this, um, and we we want to take this angle. So this is not affiliated at all with the, okay. with the RCMP. Um, you know, their their investigation is their investigation. Um, this is completely separate and, uh, and and apart from that. So we're 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 trying to shake every every possible tree here to 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 see what we can what we can get. But um, yeah, and, and so anybody who can verify uh, that they've they've talked to Brandon or they can actually say yes, I have seen this 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 person. And where uh, where should people direct their uh, provision of information? Where should they call or what site should they go to? Sure. There's a couple of places. So we've uh, we've been plastering uh, this this poster um, around around Gander, around Gambo, uh, Clarenville, uh, Twillingate, uh, Grand Falls, that sort of that sort of area. Um, we've got uh, you know we're going to be putting some up here in St. John's. So yeah, I, I mean essentially that would be the the area. Not so much you know in St. John's, but somebody from St. John's might have that info. But probably more in the you know, I mean, that's where he was last seen was Gander. Uh, so it's sort of that uh, that radius, sort of that hour and a half, couple hour sort of radius drive time. Um, he was on foot, uh, but he certainly could have caught a ride somewhere. But that's that's essentially the radius that we're that we're suspecting would, would give us the most, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the best possibility here. But they should the, the information on who to contact is on oh, these posters. Sorry. Yeah, they are. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so it's three two seven five six zero seven. So that's a call or text three two seven five six zero seven. There is a Facebook uh, page as well. It's help us find Brandon. Uh, so we've got this posted there um, as well. So there's you know some discussion forums and whatnot uh, on on that Facebook post um, as well. All right. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Cliff, for calling in. VOCM will continue to to help as, as best we can, you and your family, as you try and locate uh, Brandon, and uh, we appreciate the update this morning. Okay, thanks so much for your time. Okay, take care. That was uh, Cliff, Brandon Tucker's uncle, providing some new information and uh, providing some uh, guidance on how uh, they can uh, they can get some help in uh, tracking Brandon down. Time for a break here on VOCM. Uh, coming up, our news, and then more of your calls after that. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to Open Line. Tim Powers in for Patty. He'll be back tomorrow. 
Well, in our news this morning, you may have heard uh, Jerry Lynn talking to uh, one of our her guests about staycations and how people during the pandemic have spent more time staying in their own province or their own country, traveling around and uh, looking at all the beauty that is to be seen. There is in the staycation industry, in the broader vacation industry, a player called RVZ. Now, we've talked to RVZ before. Mike McNaughton is one of the uh, co-founders of RVZ. He joins us today. RVZ, and I'll bring Mike on in a second. RVZ is a real unique uh, online platform where people looking to travel, vacation in do whatever the hell they want with RVs, can go on and find an RV in their area and come up with a rental arrangement with uh, the owner of that RV, and RVZ helps facilitate this. Mike, have I got most of that right or what? I, I, think, I think you got it pretty good, Tim. Good morning. Good morning. So, Mike, as I said, Mike McNaught, one of the original founders, he and Will Thompson uh, founded this, uh, what are you now, five years, Mike, six years? Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe, but we're uh, about five, six years now, and uh, you know, all across North America, it's pretty unbelievable. And uh, Mike and Will, of course, Mike, a uh, former Ottawa Police Service member, Will, a former member of the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, I think, Mike, it was your idea generally, wasn't it? I mean, Will, Will Thompson was just kind of interloping. You had been watching how people used and traveled in RVs. Tell us again, remind us a little bit of the genesis of RVZ, then we'll get into kind of the current issues you're dealing with and one of the things you just accomplished in Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, where it really all started was a, a motorhome that I had purchased for, for my young family. And, uh, you know, we found ourselves using it a lot that first year. Um, and then, you know, just life gets in the way. Life gets busy and kids are playing soccer and baseball and you just can't get out every every weekend. And you're just sitting there looking at that RV sitting in the driveway 11 months out of the year not getting used. And I just thought, I'm like, there's got to be a, a, a way that I can you know, share this with other people or rent it out to other people that want to travel. But unfortunately, at the time, simply insurance just made that impossible. You cannot, you know, have a commercial rental of your vehicle and be covered under your insurance policy. And that's where we kind of, you know, leveraged the the hard work done by by Uber and Airbnb. And we managed to get uh, an insurance product and were able to bring this to market where, you know, Canadians uh, all across the country can rent out their RVs to other people. And that's where it, it's really more than just, a you know, an online platform. It's really you're connecting with somebody who lives locally who's going to share, you know, the places to travel and the kind of the hidden gems that the regular people just don't know about when they're traveling. And over the course of the pandemic, and I guess we're still in the pandemic, you really saw um, a, a higher level of engagement, did you not? As other travel options were limited, people began exploring. Tell us how the pandemic has had changed the business and, and what your footprint in North America looks like right now. I, I think what the pandemic did was just really made RV more mainstream, where people that maybe might not have tried it in the past um, saw it as a, a viable, safe alternative to their their other travel plans. So we saw a lot of people traveling locally and enjoying, you know, what's within a couple hours of, of where they live. And what makes that really possible is you don't need to own an F one fifty. You don't need to you know, have to feel confident driving a big bus. You can have that RV delivered right to your campsite by the RV owner. So they'll they'll come set it up and take it away when when you're done and and really it just makes RVing that much more accessible to everyone around Canada. And you all are all over North America, correct right now? 
Yeah, that's right. So we're all across North America. And, you know, you download the website or download the app on the, the App Store and, and you can search anywhere across North America, which is kind of nice. So you can fly down to Florida and drive around there or get something locally in, here in Canada. Now, in Newfoundland and Labrador, finally, after five years of trying, you've just um, had an insurance uh, platform vehicle uh, approved for you. Tell us about that and how that came about. So that's always been the biggest challenge here in Canada is getting the um, the motorized RVs, so motorhomes, and getting insurance where a private owner of a motorhome can rent it out to other people and have full insurance coverage. So we've been working hard on Newfoundland for for years. It it is, I think it's our number one travel destination in Eastern Canada. Um, everybody wants to travel east and go travel to Newfoundland. Unfortunately, it makes it uh, sometimes cost prohibitive taking taking the ferry and bringing the motorhome on there. Well, now we finally secured insurance where owners, people that live in Newfoundland that own a motorhome, can now rent it out with full insurance coverage. And there's going to be just this surplus of demand that people are going to want to fly in and rent from somebody locally and, and travel around the island. Well, and you may also pick up some business from uh, those who just can't get rental cars as well, too. As you know, Turo uh, is in a complimentary space to, to yours with, with car sharing. Uh, RVs uh, are, are a potential for some people, given how difficult it is to get a, a vehicle in the summertime in Newfoundland and Labrador. i got to ask you, because these are big rigs, many of them are, how has the, the increasing price of gas, though a little bit on the decline this week, last week, uh, uh, impacted people's buying choices or renting choices as it's related to your your service offering. Yeah, what, what we're seeing is we're, we're still seeing lots of demand. People are still going out and traveling and, and taking that summer vacation. They may travel a little closer to home, so maybe just less kilometers on the road and more more time at the uh, at the RV park itself. But it hasn't really slowed it down. It's just more rearranging your travel plans, if that makes sense. But the the, the, the Maritime Provinces, East Coast, it's it's just such a fabulous trip. Everybody wants to get out there, so that it's quite the accomplishment now to to bring that out to Newfoundland. And they've always been very popular uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador, and it's uh, it's great that other options exist for people because one of the best ways to see the province is to be able to move around, to be able to park and and camp uh, where uh, where you want to as you journey through our province. Now, one of the challenges with a business that grows and it gets successful is people want to regulate you more, perhaps when they shouldn't regulate you. In Ontario, you're going through a bit of a challenge with uh, tickets the tourist um, tourism in Tico stands for again. Mike, remind me. The Tico that it's, it's a travel regula- regulatory body that that regulates the travel agency uh, industry here in Ontario. Yeah, so uh, Tico regulates travel agencies, and Tico is trying to suggest that you are a travel agency, and this is something that one you're pushing back on, and two, if they're successful in regulation, uh, may require you to reflect on on where your where your corporate headquarters is, which is currently in Ottawa. Uh, but tell us about this Tico challenge and why what they're arguing that you are a travel agency is wrong. Yeah, it, it, it does just make it a little challenging because what, really what we are doing is we're a facilitator. We are a marketplace. Really what we are is we're a, a software company that, that has provided an insurance product and a platform and the tools to allow you know Canadians across the country to run their own business renting out their RV. 
Um, and you know what? It lo- looks like we're we're wanting to be lumped into a travel agency um, bucket and where the regulations are just going to make it really difficult for us to, to, to work here in Ontario. And maybe, maybe we'll come out there to Newfoundland. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 it's going to make it awfully challenging where we're really at the end of the day, you are renting directly from the RV owner. And I think that's, you know, just important about what, what our product is and what we do is that it is the owner of the RV that kind of dictates everything. And I think that's important for the, you know, someone that's considering, should I rent out my RV? You always determine who you rent to, the prices that get paid. Uh, we cover all the insurance. But at the end of the day, you as the RV owner, you decide. We, we, don't, we don't place people in RVs. We don't book them for people. You're going to be talking directly with the person that is renting it. And I think that's one of the, the unique things about the peer-to-peer market is just that personal connection. And I think you know, Newfoundland specifically is known for their hospitality. And I think that's just going to be such a, a, such a draw for people from around the world that they, they, they can link up with a, no, a local Newfoundlander and, and, and learn about the province. Yeah, that's uh, and, and learn the history of the, the vehicle that they're renting. But just before I let you go, I, just on this TICO issue, it's only in Ontario, correct, that you would you, you're having this debate and discussion in other provinces. This um, regulator of travel agencies does not exist to the best of your knowledge, correct? That, that that's correct. That's what makes it kind of uh, it, it kind of a unique, <laughs> odd thing that's going on. Is that essentially want to re- regulate our industry, and and really, we would just have to move about five five minutes down the road, and we would no longer be subject to this uh, this regulation. So it's kind of a it, it, the the regulation itself was formulated back in the uh, I think it was two thousand two, pre mobile internet, pre Airbnb, pre all of these uh, travel websites that exist. Um, and, and they were done, and, and rightfully so, to protect consumers uh, from, you know, some maybe some nefarious actors or making sure that that industry was regulated well. Um, the t- times have changed. Um, you know, the, the Expedias of the world, the Airbnbs, like, it is now these marketplace facilitators. They're just bringing everything front-facing uh, front for the consumer. Uh, that's where it really differs from kind of traditional travel agency when you used to call your travel agent and ask them, hey, can you please book me a trip down in Mexico? Uh, it's very different. The, the choice is in the hands of the consumer these days. And just to be absolutely clear, so people understand, so if you were, went under TICO, uh, TICO regu- regulatory powers, you'd be subject to what? Fines, fees? What would be the oh, burden I, I, that you would uh, assume? Significant fees. Um, our, our employees would need to be classified and trained and licensed travel agents. Um, the there's a lot of financial reporting that would have to take place. Just really a lot of of, of make work and uh, extra money that's going to be flowing out, which just makes it re- really difficult to compete and grow a business. And and you know we have a, a hundred plus employees in Ontario, um, and would just have to move them out of province. Well, if our premier's listening, he's very big on, on technology and certainly very big on promoting Newfoundland and Labrador. So, Mike, you might get a call from Premier Fury if things don't work out in Ontario. Anyway, appreciate you joining us today, telling us about what's happening with uh, RVZ and uh, pumping Newfoundland and Labrador. That'll get you invited back again, Mike. Appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks so much, Tim. Have a great day.
All right. Thank you. That was Mike McNaughton, one of the co-founders of RVZ, uh, a ride sh- a online platform where RV owners can connect uh, and RV users can find an RV to use. Uh, have a look at it if you haven't before. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with more of your calls after this. Back to Open Line. So, Tico, I had a, a brain uh, uh, fog at that moment is the Travel Industry Council of Ontario. Travel Industry Council of Ontario. I believe, as you heard Mike McNaught say, it is the only one that exists uh, in a regulatory capacity across uh, across the country. And uh, that is part of what we were discussing there a moment ago. Now, uh, Maureen, I know you're not there, but you give us a call back. Sorry for making you wait. I think we're trying to line up Daryl here at the moment who had just called. We've got a bunch of calls. Just one of those go back to something that was said to me on Twitter by Mike Keogh. Uh, Mike is always a great participant of this particular program. And Mike said, as it related to our discussion on polls and the perilous state, if you're the liberal government of affairs, they find themselves in, at least with polling data. He said, people are fed up with being powerless uh, and are attracted to anyone willing to act out. That must be in reference to Polyev. Polls are showing Showing that parties get elected in a world in a whirlwind, polls are showing that parties get elected in a whirlwind of promises, only to do what they want when in there. Feed juicy contracts to their supporters, hidden behavior. Well, Mike is not wrong about that. People do tend, it seems, appears to get contracts from time to time, but that has happened since time immemorial. Not that it excuses it, but that usually is why the clock starts to run out uh, on uh, on political parties it is fascinating to me though the intensity of anger right now that is being directed at the uh, federal liberals it seems to have been boiling uh, through the pandemic and now particularly in the last number of months after the convoy and now uh, now coming to a full-on boil you can hear the kettle whistle as the angst towards the government rises whether they can uh, take the steam out of it we shall see do we have daryl there yet dave no okay <laughs> well, Dave's apparently choking. Uh, we'll get uh, we'll get Daryl back. Reminder: just um, just if you want to talk about this hockey Canada thing, I am just so taken by this story and the challenge and all that is is happened here and the anger and the rage that exists in a, and in our province. We have long rightly celebrated the achievements of, of many in hockey. Hockey has been a central fabric in shaping uh, the lives of Newfoundland and Labrador, telling the story of our province, whether it be through the victories our professional teams have had, the Stanley Cups that some of our local boys have won, uh, and the success of some of our great female athletes, Abby Newhook being one of them. We've generally had a very positive story about the impact of hockey and in sport. But right now, hockey as an institution is under attack. That aforementioned Justin Trudeau uh, looking to dodge from his own controversies by 
speaking about the state of hockey Canada now. I guess you could argue, to be fair, he's a hockey dad as well uh, and has an opinion on all of that. Uh, his government, like every government beforehand through the Sport Canada Department and agency, funds hockey and other sports in this country. So he's weighing in there, but he's, he's gotten a little quiet on it now. Yes, he's on vacation. But what do you think about this? The last time I was here two weeks ago as this was breaking, I tried to get somebody from one of the uh, local hockey associations. No luck. I appreciate people want to keep their head down and perhaps stay out of it and let things settle down a bit. But I do think it's equally important that there be some public commentary from our local hockey leaders. The brand of the sport is being challenged. I can uh, I can tell you I did find it strange when I was registering for my son for hockey last week that the local hockey association, which, as I said earlier, I want to say has been fantastic in everything interaction I've had with them and every bit of information and training that they provided, but their website was totally absent of any commentary on the state of Hockey Canada and what their thinking was and all of that. Maybe that was just me who comes from a PR perspective thinking they ought to say something, but we've heard from Hockey Manitoba saying they're going to reflect on whether or not they flow money back to Hockey Canada from registrations because, of course, we've learned in the whole Hockey Canada story that the some of the registration money that um, kids have provided or parents have provided has been used in, in settlements. Uh, some Quebec hockey associations have spoken out. Again, I, I know how important hockey is to our fabric in Newfoundland and Labrador, but I'd like to hear what you think, because it's not an easy conversation. Um, it, there are cultural challenges in every sport, but let's see if we can get some calls going on that. Tried to line up Sheldon Kennedy before, who's been a guest on this program. I uh, haven't been able to locate Sheldon today. Sheldon Kennedy, of course, been very outspoken uh, on all of this, uh, has lived a very, had lived a very horrific experience uh, in hockey at the hands of Graham James as a hero, Order of Canada recipient, a leader in changing the way hockey works, uh, established the respect group. He has said Hockey Canada's board of directors should resign. There should be major change. Love to hear your take on all of that. And you're going to have time to do that. It's time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. When we come back, more of your calls. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line here on Monday, August 1st the half point halfway point of summer i guess you could argue we have some open lines looking for your calls we are trying to track down a couple of people who dropped off earlier if they want to call back now is the time i appreciate it summer but there's so much to discuss what about vaccines and parents that are out there. Uh, if you have a child over six months of age uh, and under five or up to five, anybody from six months onwards now actually has the opportunity to vaccinate. What are you thinking? What are you thinking about the opportunity or challenge of doing that as we are getting closer to the uh, to the school year do you want to see your child get a vaccine do you think that that could be very helpful the streeter this morning seemed to indicate that was the way what do you think are you prepared uh, to do that where are we to on the whole 
COVID preparation for the return of the school year. I know here uh, in Ontario, they say we're just coming out of the seventh wave or it has plateaued. And lots of people around me have had COVID. School is not far off here either. People are a bit anxious about what that may bring in terms of potential future shutdowns and lockdowns. Our education minister in this province has made the case uh, that they will do everything to bring back all that was normal. And the baseline they have for that is 2019. You want to talk about that? Let's, uh, Let's have a call and discussion about that. But we do have Paul on the line. Paul, you want to talk about Hockey Canada. Go ahead. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Paul. How are you? I was wondering there, I heard on the news there some time ago, maybe you can elaborate. uh, Hockey Canada had set money aside in their funds for cases like uh, abuse. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, let me try. Yeah, so it goes back, if I remember from the hearing, uh, to 1988. So this is around the time of all that horrible uh, mess around Graham James came forward. And of course, you remember James was a junior hockey coach who um, yeah. who uh, molested, abused many boys, including Sheldon Kennedy, including uh, Theo Fleury, who've been very outspoken about all of that. So at that time, they started to put together a fund to manage um, the Graham James case and other cases that would come forward. I don't recall specifically, Paul, when they started to use aspects of registration money to go into that fund. But is that normal, Tim, for organizations to put money aside for sexual assault cases? That's odd, isn't it? Well, in our national sports organization, we didn't do that uh, to the best of my recollection there you know you you have insurance vehicles that would deal with all manner of claims that may come forward okay i i don't know specifically uh and i haven't heard any other organization put their hand up and say we have done this and you're on the right point right like the the point of irritation i think for for many parents uh, and canadians is okay i'm paying money for my son or daughter to play hockey right and then some of that money is being used or could be used to pay off um, people uh, or to pay off lawsuits and settlements to deal with costs uh, associated with all that that's been a real firestorm uh, which they just did they they just settled uh, wasn't some time ago they settled a few cases Uh, they said they yeah uh, the 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 current case in question 2018 uh, the allegations of the uh, that were made surrounding the team then that apparently some of the money was taken out of that fund that is correct uh it was up to 3.5 million dollars they haven't said if it was precisely 3.5 million dollars that that went there so what what's really got you worked up about this paul all of this i mean i didn't i thought that was odd that any any organization would put money aside part of their money for for sexual assault cases you know that just threw me off altogether. I know they got uh, some tongue bashing for it, for doing that. It just seems odd to me that, you know, I mean, sexual assault should go straight to before the, before the courts, you know. I mean, never mind doing it behind the scenes and trying to cover it up. But I think that's really all it is, is a cover-up, isn't it, at the end of the day? Well, I... 
that's certainly the way a lot of people are interpreting it. The, I mean, the facts at, at the time seemed to be that there was a police investigation. Question: How vigorous was that police investigation? The uh, the victim in question decided not to bring charges, um, so that would have impacted what had happened. A lot of people found it a bit of a foul air because of the speed at which the um, the settlement was reached in like three and a half weeks or three weeks. If you've ever been involved in legal settlements, that's historic speed. So you can read into that what you want to read into that, but people people took uh, took some offense from, from all of that. So, I mean, Hockey Canada does have a, a significant brand problem here. I mean, one of the things that strikes me about this, Paul, is... Look, I don't know, none of us know what happened specifically in 2018 and what information Hockey Canada had and what the the victim wanted and the like. And over the course of four years, people's views on how we handle these things have changed. But clearly, Hockey Canada has got to do more, has got to talk more about what happened so people can have a better better understanding of why they did that. And more importantly, how they're adjusting their, their, how they're addressing their cultural challenges. Usually now change would start at the top. So that would mean, you know, the guy, the head honcho, he would have to be the first to go, wouldn't he? You take your hockey team, who's usually the first to go? It's usually the coach, right? <laughs> usually the coach, um, you know, and, and Scott Smith said he's the guy to clean it up. He's been with Hockey Canada since 1995. The, the challenge I have there is that's that's the normal reaction, and maybe it's the right reaction. And certainly there needs probably to be some leadership change. But if you clear out all that historical memory, you got to find a way to keep it in there somehow because you got to find a way to solve the right problems and diagnose the right problems. My worry with all of this and with the hearings last week was everybody calling for heads and that will make people feel good and that will make people feel like there's a sense of accountability and there must be accountability but will it get at diagnosing and solving what the real problems are i mean the i really find this debate frustrating because i think there are real problems but equally um i think there are things we there are good things that hockey is doing at a minor level and other sports are doing at a minor level and we got to have a responsible discussion around all of this in my view but a new person at the top should bring new ideas, though, Tim. Yeah, that's, that's possible. That's and, and there's an argument, Paul, that's being made, too. And I think it's a fair one. We, we've, we've done this in, in rugby and other sports have done this as well, too, is, you know, you have to have different views around the table. You can't just have the same people yeah. from the same organizational background coming and saying, well, we've always done this and this is how we've done it. And it, they may be right and all of that, but that doesn't bring broader perspective. I think with broader perspective, better ideas can come forward. Uh, hopefully. Tell well, me, how, how are you viewing hockey now? I mean, I hear your ang- I get well, your anger about, about the, the, the payout and the way it was done. W- what do you think about it all? Well, I'll tell you now, when my father was alive, he loved watching hockey and Team Canada all the time. I mean, I used to go up to his place watch hockey all the time, you know. Yeah. It, it hasn't really affected me in regards to the sport itself because it's the individuals involved. It's not so much the sport. Mm-hmm. So we can't, you know, we can't blame the sport for it, but... This has been going on for years, Tim, and it's not only in hockey, it's gymnastics and everything. It's sports in general. So, Yeah, know, and that's not, an important point, too. Go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. No, but it's not, just, it's not just hockey. I mean, I don't know. You hear about gymnastics all the time, especially down in the States. And who knows, Tim, it could still be going on. We don't know, and we won't know until, it breaks, until it's breaking news the next day, you know. 
Well, and on the gymnastics, it's important to point out just last week uh, or two weeks ago, federal government stopped funding Gym yep. Canada, as it's called now, Gymnastics Canada, because I believe a petition of 500 uh, former athletes and others was brought to the fore, raising concerns, making allegations about uh, sexually inappropriate behavior, harassment um, that uh, was experienced by athletes in that sport. So you're right. It's important not to single out hockey, but hockey get, gets all the attention because it is an institution <laughs> in Canada, right? Exactly. Tim, I was going to ask you one uh, totally different question. Sure, no? fire away, man. What it's is it? my mind since last week. I heard a lot mentioned about Rex Murphy last week. What's <laughs> Rex Murphy doing these days? You don't hear higher tail out of him. Uh, he's still he's writing he's still writing for the National Post, so you can he, read him online. Is he in Ottawa? Or, or? You know, he's in uh, Rex is in Toronto. He oh. um, he's still doing some writing. He's appearing on a few podcasts. He's uh, he's still poking the bear a lot. He's taking a bit of heat, but Rex can live with the heat. He's a very able, able fellow uh, around um, some of the things he's argued around the convoy and uh, some of the the alignments he's made with Dr. Jordan Peterson. So uh, Rex is uh, Rex is where he likes to be in the middle of controversies. I, I I have a lot of time for Rex. He's always been very good to me. Don't always agree with his opinions, particularly some of these around the convoy and the like. But uh, the pen still writes and, and the mouth still roars. So you can find Rex in different places, Paul. He's not associated with CBC anymore, is he? No, he finished his term with CBC four or five years ago. Okay. And, th- and that was his choice, as I recall. Um, yeah, because you don't you, see you, Really see him anymore. That's why I just want. No, to I used to be on the national all the time when uh, when Peter Mansbridge was the host, but he's uh, he's stepped back a little bit. From and he all did cross country checkup for a while and all that. Yep, uh, he yeah. did cross country checkup for over a decade. But yeah, no, he's still alive and well. You can Google him today, and you'll find a bunch of articles <laughs> in the National Post. Well, I think he's doing a good job. He's like you, all my right. friend. He's doing. A, he's representing Newfoundland good. Uh, well, thank <laughs> you. I don't know about that. I'll, I'll tell him that next time I talk to him. Good to talk to you today, Paul. Thanks, Tim. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with more of your calls after this. It's great. Now we've tracked Daryl down. We lost Daryl a minute there because I was waxing on about something else. Anyway, Daryl, you're on the line. Welcome to the program. (laughs) Thanks, uh, Tim. Thanks for uh, having me on. And you're doing a great job as uh, per uh, usual. Well, you're a kind Uh, man. How are you doing today? (laughs) I'm doing good. The weather is good. It's all good. So uh, I'm doing great. Now, you want to talk about accessibility, is that right? Yeah, for uh, dis- uh, people with disabilities. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of reiterate. I heard uh, Terry Lynn Mackey on uh, one of your morning shows there recently talking to a gentleman. I think his name, I'm not sure it was Gene uh, Hogan or Eugene, one of it, but I, mm-hmm. I do apologize if I got it wrong. And uh, he was telling his story how he went down on George Street and he couldn't get in nowhere due to accessibility. And a lot of the establishments didn't have to upgrade their grandfather into an old agreement. But he finally got into a place I heard he had to go in with crutches, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah. what I want to address, year, years ago, I sat in on those uh, meetings. And that was uh, uh, before the present liberal government. It was the PC government. And they went right across the province looking for input with people with uh, disabilities for accessibility. And I sat in those meetings. I, I think that's, that was probably about 10 or 12 years ago, maybe. Okay. And, uh, and, what, I, and what I had an input in as well is, like, even, like, when you go to a beach, there's no accessibility for people in a wheelchair. 
And uh, when and I had that input made recommendations, a lot of good recommendations, and I never seen nothing come forward. And like even if someone wants to go to the beach, like a nice day like today, like say here and around the Gander area, uh, there's no accessibility with anyone with, with a wheelchair to get to the beach, and uh, and uh, all that stuff can be done. And, and it's sad that I haven't uh, flourished now myself. I got a sister that's in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I understand these people uh, where they're coming from, and uh, and nothing never came out of it. And that, that's what I think ten or twelve years ago. It was the PC government, anyhow, uh, previous to this government. So, and I, I haven't seen none of these recommendations got the. Uh, came to flourish. So, wh- who's given the pushback? Is it the owners of different establishments, and, and why is it a cost thing in your view, or do they think, uh, along with cost, that there just isn't the number of people who would would use their services, even if they put it in there? What, what do you attribute all this to, Daryl? Uh, uh, well, Tim, that, that's a that, that's a really good question you pose there. Uh, I'm not totally sure. Uh, wouldn't be fair for me to say one way or the other. Uh, I'm not sure it's due to the government never implement the policies to the business or what you just uh, quoted as well. Uh, for me to say anything, like I, I, I'm not sure uh, what happened and what direction why it went the way it did or to the wayside. But uh, I think this needs to uh, come to flourish again. And we also got to look at it. Here in Newfoundland, Labrador, we're an mm-hmm. aging population, and with aging population, you're going to have more and more people coming on board. Unfortunately, with uh, you know some form of a disability, disability mm-hmm. could be uh, is a, a, a whole variety of things. Uh, could be minor to anything serious or or anything at all. But I think this all needs to be revisited. As, and it should be all documented with the government because PC government did do all these studies and they, and they went right across the province to Gander, St. John's. They went full fledged, and I thought it was going to be, uh, uh, you know, like a done deal and more enhancement for the better. But I mean, you got people with disabilities trying to get into establishment like this, Mr. Hogan, and, and and the struggles is bad enough having a disability and then have all these extra amenities and extra struggles in life. I mean, and then that yep. leads to uh, mental health, and, and and you know it's like domino effects. So I, I think uh, anyone out there listening, the government officials, uh, please revisit all this again and, and take a good uh, take a good stand towards this issue. It's a very serious issue. So just on your sister, you mentioned it, so that's why I asked that she uh, she has a disability. How yeah. much accessible space does she have in terms of her daily life? Would it be 90%, 100%? I mean, what's, what does her footprint of, of life look like? Uh, well, all varies, I guess. Like where, uh, where she lives to, she's got her own home, so forth, like, that's all totally accessible. It's good that good. way, and uh, and uh, she's all it's all good that way. And when she goes shopping, uh, she has somebody there with her, uh, or you know, either a partner or whatever the case may be. Uh, like they do all that. So she's lucky. She got it all good that way, right? Okay. So she's probably lucky in that that in that essence. Essence, I mean, as such. So a lot of people are not fortunate that way. But now. If they go and leave and go somewhere and go to the beach or somewhere like that to yeah. enjoy today, the then you got more of a you got more of a struggle because of the accessibility part of it, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, she needs someone to help her, you know, twenty four seven, in general. But if she wants to go to the beach somewhere like that, oh God, well we can't. 
uh, the, the person might have to probably pick her up and carry her or whatever because you can't get to to where you want in it, uh, with a wheelchair as such in general. Well, and, and so, you know, yeah. a, 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 what was fascinating for me, and I wonder how people like you who are rightly making a strong case for enhanced accessibility will look at what just happened with the Pope's visit. I, I Forget all the apologies yeah. on that for a moment. Here's a, a, a man yeah. in his late 80s who was wheel, wheelchair bound, who has all manner of service provision given to him. And you could see just see how difficult it still is for him to, to make yeah. it around. And if, if the Pope who has bodyguards who can carry him, a Pope mobile who can transport him, um, special ramps built to get him in and out, still has difficulties and you have to think as you say people like your sister who don't have all of that luxury uh what they go through and we got to do better got to leave it there though daryl thank you yeah and i'll just like sum up there sure. like i seen the last picture of the pope when he's on his way back to rome you look at the struggle he had yeah. when they're trying to get him into the wheelchair i was watching him at 85 years old so i mean uh, that should be an eye-opener to mm-hmm. the whole world and the provincial politicians, I know they're tuning into this show, revisit those assessments that were done by the PC government and recommendations, or if you got to do more consultations, whatever it takes. But please, these people deserve the utmost respect and, uh, and a good quality of life like the rest of us. Yeah, no, well said. Good to talk to you, Daryl. Have a good day. Uh, okay, you as well, Tim, and thank you, and all the best to you and BOCM and your listening audience. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. We're going to go from Daryl to Charlie. Charlie, flooding in Kentucky is on your mind today, is it? Good morning. Good morning, Tim. How are you? It's a hot, muggy one out this way. <laughs> yeah, I think all of all of the world seems to be baking right now, which maybe maybe we should talk climate change. We'll spare that for now, but, oh, no, flooding in Kentucky could lead us to that. So tell us what what's specifically on your mind related to that. Well, I play Scrabble from uh, people all over, and uh, many of them from the States. So I was playing this guy this morning. He was fairly at a high level. He was 1,100 and something, which is mm-hmm. uh, at the middle level in Scrabble. So he was no dummy, and he was from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought it would be uh, okay to, and, and I, I always do this, mention the, uh, the flooding and the seriousness of it in his, uh, in his state. Mm-hmm. And uh, he acknowledged that it was happening and so on, and uh, so I knew he, at least he knew about it. And uh, I said, I guess a lot of people would be changing their minds regarding the uh, warming of the the planet now and Mm -hmm. climate change. And he said, he said, you know, those people that advocate... uh, for a change of series, he said, they're still buying beachfront properties and still flying all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, we've got a lot of hypocrites all over the world. Uh, they're here too, but what, what does that have to do with the, the price of fish kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, then he said, uh, the geologic cycles that's been changing... Uh, uh, warming and cooling ever since, and uh, I said, yes, that's true, I said, but uh, this is happening in the last uh, 100 years or so, the, especially the temperature records. So it was obvious that uh, the guy, and oh yeah, didn't he mention Al Gore? He said, Al Gore said it would be all flooded by 2000, and I said, I've, I've read what Al Gore said. <laughs> well, he invented the internet too, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So he was making all the, these points, and my mm-hmm. point is, there's a guy, and he was—he lived in a prosperous part of Kentucky because he made reference to Appalachia okay. and flooding up in a poor area. Like that had something to do, to do with the events. But anyways, 
Uh, here's a guy who's uh, probably, an, uh, definitely an high school educated and probably a college educated person without any knowledge of the chemistry of the atmosphere and how the greenhouse effect works or anything else. He was just making points that were completely out to lunch. And then he got off on COVID and said, look, he said, I haven't got any jabs. They got four jabs and they're still getting it. So I said, well, it's, it's, it wasn't supposed to be a cure. It's supposed to help, help you if, 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 if you get it. So, Tim, I guess what I'm saying is, and I've said it many times, people are educated uh, 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 with, with, with uh, schooling, but but they don't know B from a bull's foot. I bet you know it's all about algebra, though. You know <laughs> what? I, <laughs> I, I can't understand how schools can 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 continue to do nothing and pay lip service to this and talk about the good jobs being done in schools and the classrooms when they're doing frig all. Yeah. Uh, except for the scattered teacher who's uh, who's uh, concerned about it uh, and, and and brings in a unit or, or brings in the conversation. So, well, as you know, Charlie, there's this war on knowledge that is terrifying at the moment. The anti-elite sentiment, all of this, and look, there's lots of things to criticize people who are well-educated in the law, and you should hold people to account. But uh, the the real worrying thing about that is it's getting into how we teach people, and sometimes people need to learn about things or be open to learning about things that they may not believe but you have to try yes it's how we teach as well yes. as what we teach and unfortunately we're, we're we're back in the stone age as far as i and i i i was an educator so yeah, I, I remember that yeah. and i talk to students now and and some of them know very little except their own knowledge that they pick up them themselves through 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 the internet and so on right so anyway. Look, I gotta. I, before I let you go, I appreciate you calling. I gotta go to the news, but I do want because I always appreciate your takes. If you can give it to me in a minute or less, your take on what should happen with Hockey Canada. I haven't followed it a lot, and uh, I know I know what the issue is. Obviously, there needs to be change. But if I was to give an opinion, it would be a very uninformed opinion. Okay. So I'm, I, I can't do that. Okay. I appreciate your honesty. All right. Thanks for the call, Charlie. Uh, good to talk to you today. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Okay. okay. Uh, it was Charlie. Time for news here on VOCM. When we come back, uh, Emily Dwyer, Dyer, excuse me, from the Memorial University Students Association to talk about the housing challenges students are facing. Back with that after the news. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Student housing. It's a challenge at Memorial University. And now we're going to talk to Emily Dyer of the Munsa, Director of External Affairs. Emily, how are you this morning? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. How are you? I'm good. I'm not used to the new acronym. When I was there, it was another acronym, so I keep saying it, Munsa, Munsa. But uh, it seems like the challenges yeah. are new, too. Uh, there used to be a good degree of housing. Now, mind you, I was at Memorial in the early 90s, and there was, uh, mm -hmm. was, it was a different time. The school has grown. But if I were a student now, Emily, how difficult would it be for me to find somewhere to live? I mean, the volume of people who have been coming to us in the last few months has been shocking to me, to be honest with you. Um, what we're seeing is an increasing number of students who are struggling because of the state of housing in the city. And that's everything from skyrocketed rent to the lack of long-term units that are available and unresponsive landlords. So they're living in these homes that like have broken sinks and broken toilets and 
all of this stress has really been affecting the way they can study at Memorial and them completing their studies on time. And there needs to be immediate action taken for this because students are really, really having a bad time. So, I doing some research on this. I, I see you attribute um, outlets like Airbnb and Verbo for contributing to the housing crunch. How does this get solved, and what role do those two entities play in making this more difficult? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I think about a month ago, I came across a picture on Facebook that showed what the downtown looked like and you couldn't see any streets because it was all a bunch of like dots that represented airbnbs Uh so the issue we see with short-term housing is that like while tourists do tend to come here in the summer for the most part they'll be vacant in the fall and the winter and that's when students come in and they can't access this housing because it's a short-term rental so we're seeing like We're just seeing a lot of issues with that. And in terms of legislation, it's not like it's an impossible feat to do something about this. For instance, in um, Atlanta, Georgia, they did put in some legislation about how if you own Airbnbs, you're only allowed to own two, you pay a higher tax rate, and you have to live in the city. And a lot of Airbnbs, as it stands, are owned by people who are not in the province or they own a monopoly of them. And this is just exacerbating inequalities, in my opinion. Now, what are you hearing from the university, the the various levels of government about how they're looking at addressing this? That's question one. And related to that, uh, and I I ask this again, trying to understand the differences, because university housing provides one level of accommodation. But after a certain point, people don't want to live in university accommodation. So could even more university accommodation solve this problem, or is it a, um, a requirement of of governments and individuals to create other housing options for students? I think that the housing situation in the city is like, it's very complex, but in terms of housing on campus, there's been a whole lot of issues with that as well. And we're hearing from some students that there's black mold that's not being addressed. There's like infestations with rats and mice and the housing situation there isn't great as well even though the housing itself seems cheap on the surface you also need to consider the fact that Mm -hmm. every student in residence needs to buy a meal plan which could be up to three thousand dollars so it's like there's a you're also under um i apologize i lost my train of thought that's okay But, yeah, essentially, even though there is housing, um, it's also filling up very quickly from correspondence I had with Monadmin, and it's not equitable housing. There's a lot of issues with that as well. And in terms of what government can do, I saw there was a statement made by Minister Steve Crocker of Tourism, and... um, in response to what I said to CBC, and they said that they don't intend on putting any regulations to limit the amount of short-term rentals or the amount of long-term rentals turning into short-term rentals for vacation homes and things like that. They also have a um, legislation they plan on putting in place in the next few weeks about um, making all Airbnbs register themselves as short-term rentals. But based on what I saw, there's no consequences if you don't register as a short-term rental. So in my view, this is very flimsy and won't actually solve the issue. So how do you get the issue solved? Back to that question. Um, if there's uh, there's no regulatory appetite, um, yeah. development is not cheap, and space to develop is not always easy, how, how do you see this getting solved? 
I think that there needs to be an overhaul of the Landlord Tenant and Residential uh, Residential Tenancies Act um, because there's a very clear power imbalance between tenants and landlords. And this is what I've been hearing from a lot of students that their landlords won't get in trouble, but they're scared if they speak up, they will get in trouble. And I also understand that landlord tenant is very overburdened right now. So I, in my view, there needs to just be a mass overhaul so we can get equitable housing for everyone. You, you mentioned um, you mentioned Atlanta and what yeah. they're doing with Airbnb. Are there any Canadian examples of, of uh, universities in different communities or communities that have universities that are getting it right and are addressing? Because housing shortages, as you know, generally are a big issue across most of the country. But are there anybody in Canada have a model that you see could work in Newfoundland and Labrador? Honestly, I did some research on this and I couldn't find anything. This is like a nationwide crisis, but I feel like in the very recent past, it's really ramped up here in Newfoundland. And I, I, I just want to ask you this so people understand it, because I'm, I'm, I, I have different versions of what it means. But just so people get it, what does equitable housing mean? So that means housing that is safe, um, housing where you could have peaceful enjoyment, housing that's essentially like your infrastructure is safe. You'll be able to live there in like, you'll be able to just have a safe home to live in, which is equitable housing. So everyone would be able to like, not have any health concerns, not have any safety concerns. And that could be anything from mold to like crumbling infrastructure to lack of responsiveness about fixing these issues, which is something that we also see. So it's a matter of more accountability for landlords. I I hate to rain on the parade, and thank you for the definition of equitable housing. I think it's important for people to understand that. Um, Mm -hmm. Six six, six weeks away from university starting, any hope of any movement on any front uh, uh, of this front, sorry, to deal with the challenges that are at play? I'm really hoping that through us advocating to the media about this, that government will hear us and hopefully hopefully take some action about this. And um, we have been talking to my admin and hopefully finding some solutions there as well. But I am not optimistic about the fall, and I'm very concerned about the well-being of students as a result of this. Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen this, too. It's a fascinating uphill battle, although you mightn't describe it as fascinating, but just from for the forces <laughs> that you are struggling against on the web page where the story is uh, about mm-hmm. what you're trying to do and what Mr. Chowdhury is trying to do, there's a verbo pop-up ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, that tells you everything, I think, as you say. Uh, you're you're fighting uh, and battling against very sophisticated operators who have the resources uh, and, and level of penetration that you don't. But sometimes mm-hmm. determined will, led by MUN students, can make a difference. Mm-hmm. So you keep at it, Emily. Appreciate uh, speaking with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Okay, that was uh, Emily Dyer from the Memorial University Students' Union, Director of External Affairs, talking about housing challenges faced by MUN students and by many people. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with you after that. Welcome back to Open Line. And we're continuing our conversation looking at the reaction people are having to what's happening with Hockey Canada, the broader commentary that's being made about the state of sport in the country. And pleased now to be joined by Greg Williams, who is the chair of Baseball Newfoundland, and Greg has coached baseball, he's coached hockey. He's the perfect person to have this conversation with. Greg, how are you this morning? 
Uh, good, Tim. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm coaching chair with Baseball Newfoundland. So. Oh, coach, coaching chair. Yeah. All right. Well, that producer guy, you know, sometimes he makes mistakes, but we'll we'll, we'll let him pass on this one. Coaching chair. That's okay. Well, that's all right. Yeah. I don't want anyone out there thinking I'm, you know, I'm bigger than I am. So that's, that's a big thing. <laughs> Nobody wants that, particularly right no. now in the world of sport. Well, coaching chair is even better because you can, can speak to, to some of the specific challenges that exist for coaches in, in this day and age. But let's start with how, your reaction you're watching this play out greg you're you've seen the hearings last week you've seen new allegations come forward about what uh, happened in halifax in 2003 you've seen a lot of people in the country you know uh, go after hockey canada rightly but also then talk about the broader nature of toxicity in sport just unpack your thoughts and feelings as you're watching this play out I mean, you know, obviously what's happening in the in the Hockey Canada situation right now is is terrible. Uh, and, uh, you know, the actions that have occurred, uh, you know, they're horrific in nature when you look at the details and things like that. And, and there definitely needs to be, uh, you know, a change in that mindset and a change in that culture that's there, uh, you know, at that high performance level, I guess, or at that, you know, age group and and you know as it filters down through too it definitely needs to have a change in in the direction and the mindset and and get players understanding you know a better approach to how they need to be responsible as as athletes and and also the role that it plays for coaches administrators and things of that nature everybody has a piece of this that they need to recognize you know we need to do better um, and I guess for me, you know, one of the reasons I'm, I'm calling in this morning is, you know, we, the unfortunate thing is a lot of times when a negative incident comes forward, it capitalizes a lot of the conversation and things like that. And, you know, we're right on the cusp of probably the, you know, the most outstanding amateur athletic event in the country with the Canada Games uh, coming up this, uh, starting this weekend. And, you know, the Canada Games brings athletes from mm-hmm. all aspects. And it's definitely the highlight of our, you know, high performance programs in all sports is to get those athletes together. So, you know, I think a big thing is, you know, while what's going on with the Hockey Canada world and, and what we're seeing happening and the information coming out definitely, you know, shouldn't be discarded and definitely needs to be addressed very strongly. I think, too, we need to also look at, you know, the positive things that sport and minor sports brings forward and, you know, looking at the upcoming Canada Games and, you know, obviously the pandemic has caused some uh, issues with this one being delayed. So, you know, the opportunity for these athletes to go and compete after training for so long, uh, you know, it's a key piece to look at. And, and even on a local level, August is a very busy month for for local sports. I know uh, from our involvement with Baseball Newfoundland and Labrador, we have an array of activities happening during the month of August. And just want to draw some attention to that as well, that, you know, there are a lot of positive role models in sport. Yes. There's a lot of positive opportunities in sport. And, uh, you know, a lot of these athletes benefit greatly. And, we, you know, it's it's always the case that there, you know, it takes a few uh, bad apples to ruin a bunch. And, you know, in this situation, we want to make sure that the good apples and, and the positive role models and the strong athletes and the ones who are setting such a great example, um, you know, need to be acknowledged and recognized. And I guess just to draw attention to one specific, uh, Team Newfoundland and Labrador is going to have 
uh, a female athlete who's also on the provincial baseball team, the Canada Games baseball team, Jada Lee, is going to be the flag bearer. Uh, and, you know, she's the first female athlete to, pro- uh, to play in the male baseball for Canada Games. So, I mean, she's a fantastic example of, you know, what's capable and, and of, uh, you know, female athletes who, you know, want to achieve to the top of their sport yeah there's a few things there that i think you said are are really quite important it we we do need to address whatever happened in hockey canada and every sport needs to make sure they have all of the proper safety mechanisms training mechanisms reporting mechanisms there we owe that to ourselves we owe that to our athletes we owe it to the people who have have suffered in the past and have have lived these horrible stories that we're now hearing about but it's also important to remember, as you rightly say, I mean, sports still provides growth opportunities, provides role models, helps shape us for life. I mean, as you were talking, looking specifically at, at baseball, I mean, so much of what happened in terms of the gaining of rights in the U.S., the end of, uh, of separate schools, the end of, of, uh, of black versus white can be traced back to Jackie Robinson. Um, and, and people need to remember those things in these difficult times. Greg, are you hearing, again, as coaching coordinator, two questions. Are your coaches asking questions about how they can do better and, and how they can also protect themselves when questions like this arise? Not that they don't want to assume responsibility, but how they do best to make sure that they're in a leadership position fulfilling that role and doing it while they're also protecting themselves because it's a challenge to volunteers. And second, are you hearing from parents asking questions coming out of the Hockey Canada scandal about maybe what your sport's doing and how safe things are? Um, I guess right now, Tim, and I mean, the, the conversation with coaches, uh, you know, that's been a an, an ongoing one, yeah. I guess. You know, if you want to even go back to, you know, the, the Sheldon Kennedy incidences and things of that nature, I mean, when all of that broke, we really saw a big change in, you know, how to protect our coaches and how the coaches need to be well-informed and things like that and, and educated and how associations need to be uh, very selective with coaches that they put in place. Uh, you know, I think Sport Canada has done a good job with implementing some of these safe sport programs. Uh, I know uh, coaching.ca has a safe sport program that coaches are, are expected to do, and Baseball Canada has made that a mandatory course uh, in the last year, a couple of years. So all coaches are required to, uh, to do the safe sport uh, course through uh, I've done, and so are board administrators I had to do it in my yeah. last year at uh, Rugby Canada it's the best thing to do anyway go ahead yeah and so you know that's a move in the right direction and I think uh, there's been a lot of discussion lately too on just providing more information and uh, and you know educating coaches I mean Baseball Canada has done some big things in the last couple of years in you know we're kind of revamp our pathways and things for coaches and we put a lot of emphasis on coach education and i know here in baseball newfoundland um you know we really try to promote that coach education uh, you know it's been a bit hectic this year with, mm-hmm. with getting everything in and and still coming off the tails of the pandemic and things like that but um you know it's definitely a piece that coaches often bring up in coaching clinics uh and you know i think we have things in place to to kind of guide them but i mean you can never be 100 percent sure we also have you know codes of conduct that we use from the nccp and uh, you know speaking of canada games uh you know all the athletes and coaches and staffs are required to complete a, a code of conduct for that 
uh, event as well. And so, you know, we're, we're putting the information out there, I think, and making athletes aware that, you know, their actions, they're, they're being held to a certain level. Uh, and also providing coaches with, you know, that type of knowledge to say, look, you know, you can have a code of conduct that you should put in place for your team. And, you know, as a coach, you need to, you know, be aware of these things, but also rely on your local associations for support, your provincial bodies for support. If you think there's something happening that, you know, you may need to be concerned about or to a next level. So I think, you know, all of those things are, are positives. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is a lot of times when, when these incidents happen, we go into a react response as opposed to that. Yes. You know, and we don't always acknowledge the proactive stuff that's there. So there are things that are in place um, and that have been happening since, you know, since, I mean, if you look at these events that they're detailing 2018 and, and 2003, I mean, there's been a number of things put in place since those events have even happened. So, you know, it's one of those things to kind of think, okay, well, you know, how come this wasn't in place before? Well, you know, it's, it's in place now and moving forward, we're, we're hopefully in a better place to kind of protect athletes and protect uh, coaches, but also protect, you know, members of the public who may have negative interactions that we don't want to those things to be occurring as well from a parent's perspective i haven't heard a whole lot yet i mean i guess it's still very fresh in the media so uh you know as we move forward we may start to hear things but uh you know i think provincially we require you know uh background checks or code of conduct from the rnc for our coaches and and things of that nature as well i'm just bleeding into news here but i do have one last question if you can get it in a minute that would be great greg um so parents that are listening parents who may be watching it's not just hockey canada it's gymnastics canada there are a number of sports uh that are going through change and turbulence and haven't dealt with matters well um what questions should a parent be asking of an association uh or a representative of that association when they're thinking about putting their kid in the sport you know, I guess the key things that you should be asking are, you know, uh, is it a safe environment for my child to participate in? You know, are your coaches uh, vetted in some process? Uh, you know, and, you know, instill not only the technical aspects of the game, but also provide some strategic things to kind of help them become better people moving forward. Okay. Well, those are good questions. I think I would ask uh, ask the same thing and uh, uh, appreciate you taking the time. It's a discussion I think we're going to have more of in the days ahead. Thanks, Greg, and thanks for the work you do. It's not easy anywhere being a volunteer right now, but particularly in the world of sport, doing something you love, it's, uh, it's tough and uh, good for you for what you do. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Tim. All right. Take care. Uh, Time now for some news here at VOCM and back with the final half hour after that. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. We've got about 22 minutes left, and we've got some open lines, pardon the pun, uh, here for you to give us a call right now. I'm just, I just heard back from Sheldon Kennedy. He's out in camping in Manitoba, I believe, or Alberta, and we're going to try and see if we can get him um, in while well, he's in the midst of good resell, cell reception. But if we can't, we're going to still keep talking to you. So give us a call here. I mean, you, you've heard a lot you heard a lot in that conversation with greg williams and i'm 
not sorry to be focusing on this 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 morning. I think it's so important for us as uh, people are looking at the state of sport in the country and what that means to our society to have a pretty open dialogue about what needs to be fixed and what we can all do to, to, to play a role in all of that and how important that is. Well, we're going to park that for a moment. We've got Nick on line one, and Nick wants to talk about residential schools. Nick, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Tim, I was just uh, curious, you know, seeing how uh, everything's going across Canada and the U.S. when uh, you're tearing down statues and replacing names because of such horrible stuff, um, why is it that we leave Pierre Elliott Trudeau's name everywhere, seeing that he was the government in power and they clearly knew what was going on? There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, and other people such as him, you know, maybe we should whitewash their statues, their names off airports and uh, be done with it. I mean, this is a horrific thing. This is like a genocide, as the Pope would say. Why aren't we chasing these people down or still alive that were intact with all this and making them accountable? Well, it's a good question. Maybe a good question for Seamus O'Regan and uh, maybe uh, Clifford Small could probably bring this up in the house up in uh, Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, of course, I, I know you you know that Pierre Trudeau is dead. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be addressed because uh, John A. McDonald statues. John A. McDonald stuff down. Yeah, yeah. No, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, correct. John A. McDonald statue was taken down. I live not too far here from uh, what's used to be the Sir John A. McDonald Parkway. Uh, great trail around here. It's no longer called that. Um, and you've mentioned other statues. It's a fair question. Where does it begin and, and where does it end? And if you take down one leader, do you take down another? Ryerson, of course, has changed its name because of Edgar Ryerson, the former university, was named after him. His role or alleged role in residential schools, it's now the Toronto Metropolitan University. I mean, you got to have a balance, right? I mean, you, you need people need also to know the good and the bad of the history. So what would your balance look like? What would you prefer, Nick? Well, they already started cancel culture with everything they're doing, so they might as well continue with it and uh, just let it roll the way it's gone. I mean, these people in residential schools, I mean, uh, that was horrific what happened to those children. I mean, it's horrific. And just uh, getting up there like the Pope and, you know, doing a partial apology, I mean, like the residential, like the people like in New Nativit and all those places, they didn't even get uh, see a full uh, full apology and the stuff that uh, Trudeau gets on with you know uh, for picture ops and stuff I mean he should be replaced as well I mean no one wants him in Canada I mean maybe an election should be coming up and uh, shame on Yangbird Singh uh, for the uh, partner up with him just to save him in politics I mean this is a bit much it shouldn't be allowed if two parties want to team up well guess what make one party you should not be allowed to portray the voters when you're getting on with that stuff. But well, it, on, on that one, on that one, that's important. Look, you, you raise a point. I mean, ultimately, they're going to have to answer to the voters on that. It's a parliament. The parliament, you can find ways to cooperate, and that's one way they've decided they are going to try and, and cooperate, whether voters like that or not. And NDP members and liberal <clears> members, they're going to have to go through all of that. And, and just to uh, – it's Jagmeet, by the way, Singh, is, is, it's the proper pronunciation of his – of his name okay, as it relates no 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 i just wanted to get it right I, i'm not saying you did it deliberately wrong i just think it's important to pronounce names properly the other thing i'd say too nick it's um yeah i mean trudeau will or will he run again will he won't run again people get to decide on all of that i mean what you talked about cancel culture a lot of people talk about cancel culture you believe it's real and in full force do you 
Oh, 100%. Black Lives Matter put a, put a start to that, the way I'm looking at it. And uh, just other groups and stuff. I mean, if they're starting it, they might as well keep going with it because, uh, you know, rightfully in respect to these people, like Layla, the... She's the minister up there in uh, Labrador. Like I'd say, she Lay probably Evans. agree with me ever right about now. If she's listening. I forget her last name. Evans. She's up Layla in the mountains. Yeah, Layla Evans. And basically, uh, you know, to respect these people, start taking the names away of the people that tortured them and robbed their children and genocided these, this population. This is horrific. I mean, they don't want to be every time they turn around, oh, that, there's a guy that was in power when it happened. But you know something? Justin Trudeau should be uh, out there taking his own father's name down and show to the, the country that, you know, he is serious about uh, residential school apologies and everything else. You can start with the airports and statues and everything else he got done. I think it's the right way and the right step. All right, well, I would bet it's not going to happen, but because uh, uh, there's an equal argument you can make, and I'm sure the Liberal government would make it about uh, uh, steps Trudeau made on uh, on advancing rights and the like. But, yep, no, it's, it's a legitimate point for debate. Anything else you quickly want to add, Nick, before we go to break? Yeah, I just watched the polls, and uh, the polls for the federal government people, uh, they're showing Trudeau's down majorly. He's uh, disliked by 51% of Canada, but Eastern Canada seems to still vote for Trudeau. You people need to wake up and stop, and you need to vote for the person that's in your neighborhood, not for the party because you did it for the last 60 years. Think about your grandchildren and their children because you're only ruining their lives by voting the same power and the power. Anyways, Tim, you have a good afternoon. All right, Nick, good to talk and to you. Thank you. I don't think Nick will be voting for the Liberals in the next election. Uh, he made that pretty clear. Uh, okay, time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Still trying to get Sheldon Kennedy. Don't know if it'll work or not. Uh, if not, maybe Patty can talk to him later in the week. Time now, though, for our last break and more of your calls. Welcome back to Open Line. Last 11 minutes here waiting for your calls. Getting excited about that regatta. Uh, I'm looking at the VOCM headlines here. Fingers crossed for regatta free of wind, rain, and COVID. Well, that's like the trifecta. Can that trifecta be achieved? As I said a few weeks ago when I uh, was hosting, sitting in for Patty, great to see John Perlin be named the honorary life president of the regatta committee. He's done a ton of stuff for the regatta over the years. It's uh, such a great event. I know some people call it the townie Olympics, but you know, we townies, we do need something to get ourselves motivated in August to get out there and row around the pond and get people together but uh it's uh, it's looking like a good day i hope people will get down and see it as i said if it's anything like the highland games that i just went to and it always has been in the past lots of people lots of excitement it is a great day it's fascinating, too, because you're seeing this, right? You heard the interview this morning with Ashley Peach talking about the contingency plans that they have in there for um, potential absences of gunners, uh, those who operate and those who operate the safety boat and judges boat because of, of COVID. Everybody now has got to have a contingency plan because this COVID is not gone away. I have a very good friend here who just got his fourth shot. And two weeks later, on his birthday, on his birthday, got 
uh, COVID again for a second time. So it's still among us. It's it's out there. But uh, let's hope the regatta can go off as best possible. It's been a long time since I have been down there. I have wanted and will some maybe next summer, if it works out, take my son down there. I have such wonderful memories of being a young fellow, and my dad would come back from Labrador or wherever he was working, and we would go down, my sister and I, with him and go around, do all the concession stands and um, watch some of the races and get some of the novelty toys, even though my father was a bit of a character. He didn't put us in the beer tent then. That's probably a very good thing. His wife, my mother, wouldn't have been super happy about that, but some great childhood memories around the regatta. So look forward to that going off and VOCM doing its normal, excellent coverage of the event. Uh, It is uh, the uh, centerpiece of the summer and a sign of normal, a sign of normal. Oh, what else can we talk about here before? Uh, Look, we haven't talked about it today, but boy, did we talk about it last time. It's gotten a little quieter at the moment, but I look at our headlines again. ER services in Harbor Breton diverted due to staffing issues. This problem continues. It is going to continue when I talk to the premier on this program last time uh, we asked about expectations and i thought he handled it very well mentioning you take these things one step at a time and that's right uh, unless you're in the circumstance of needing the emergency services but it's uh it's a summer it's a time where we need to be mindful that the health care services that we once uh, so cherished and expected aren't functioning the way they ought to. I've gone on about this and on about this and probably lead to people turning off the radio. That's not great for advertisers, but let me say it one more time. Why the hell not? We really got to dig into to what is real and what is imaginary when it comes to health care service provision what can we afford and not afford i watched the story this week two two stories two stories this weekend dominated on the television news at least on the cbc television news um, nationally one about fogo island not having a doctor uh, and the fact that the doctor is now gone and they're trying to address it Uh, the lack of a doctor being there. Doctors, of course, human being uh, with locums and and temporary um, temporary assignments. The other being the issue with nurses and nurse burnout and some private nurses being used to provide medical services. That may be where we're going. And you have the nurses union in the province rightly saying, well, you got to do better and you got to look after our people. I don't dispute that, but are there sacred cows in, in any of this anymore? I mean, listening to Mayor Shea, going back to the situation in Fogo, when we had him on the line talking about um, what was going on in his community. I mean, they've had a doctor, I think, for over 200 years. And as the CBC story told, as many of you know the story, Fogo's having a bit of a resurgence. Um, It's got the great tourism industry that's been built up there around Fogo Island Inn. All of these things, things to talk about. And somebody who's going to get the last word now doc o'keefe doc how are you today i'm good tim how are you up in uh 
the Netherlands of Canada. Well, I don't see you waving at me as I was downtown. That was quite. Are you are you doing some touring now? Is that what you yeah, were doing when I saw I, you? Uh, legend tours. Uh, Brendan Quinlan was after me for the longest okay. while to do some tours. You know, and he'd say to me, "Boy, you know, you're the mayor. You were the mayor. You know the city. You're good with people. How about doing some tours?" And uh, so this year, I relented. And uh, got my level class four driver's license, and I'm doing a few tours. And I must say, people from all over the world are here buying. They really enjoy it, really love it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was funny to see you doing that, and good for you. <laughs> and Lord knows you like to tell stories, and you're a good talker, and I don't mean that uh, in a sarcastic way, no. not least right now, so why not put it to use? And uh, your family's yeah. probably happy you're not sitting on the sofa regaling them with political war stories, are they? Well, I'll never do that. I mean, I'm, <laughs> as you know me, I'm involved politically all the time, and yes, I do love to talk, and Yes, between 30 years teaching high school and yep. uh, six terms down at City Hall, I got a lot of stories. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> and what's today's story in the three minutes that you got? Tell me. Today's story is twofold. Okay. One, it's about government making announcements and then not following up on it. And uh, I seem to recall uh, way back around April the 7th, the provincial government announced that it was going to uh, give people a break and do away with the sales tax on home insurance. Mm -hmm. That's April, and this is now going into August, and that still has not been implemented. I call my own insurance company, which is one of the biggest ones, uh, not only in Newfoundland, Labrador, homebred, but also... Uh, right across Canada, Johnson Insurance, and because I wanted to check it out and find out whether or not I, I got that tax break. And uh, this was last week, and they told me, no, uh, they haven't implemented it yet. They're still waiting for the province to contact them on the when of implementation and the how of implementation. So the question is, are we going to get a break on our home insurance, or is the province hoping it will just fade away and people will forget? What well, do you think? Any, anybody who has a veritable mortgage or has to renegotiate their mortgage now is certainly going to not forget about that. Uh, it's another cost saving they're looking for with rates as higher than they have been in a very, a very long time. So, all yeah. right, good for raising that one. What's the other one? The other one is I really don't know what's going on with price regulation, gas and oil here in the province. I mean, I, along with George Murphy and several others, were implement, uh, part of the implementation of gas and oil price regulation way back during the Roger Grimes government. And uh, we had a formula in place. Then uh, Premier Williams handed it over to the PUB. And now it just seems like it's so erratic. Sometimes there are two changes in the run of a day with this interruption formula. I mean, it's kind of commonplace now, and I know the province is studying it. I hope there will be some changes in October. Uh, we we kind of wait in anticipation. Mm -hmm. But How it, 
Go I was going to ask you, how, with, with the business you're in now, we're doing with uh, the Legends Tours, how is it affecting that business owner in terms of uh, gas prices? How How is it uh, changing what they charge and what they can do? Well, I mean, uh, he, he they set their prices, and I guess that takes into account the increase in gasoline prices, but the prices have been set now for quite a while, so any increases that that are coming down the pipeline, uh, not to use a pun, have to be, have, just have to be eaten up by the, by the business, right? Yeah. Now, on the other front, when it comes to tourism... you I got about 30 seconds, my friend. Okay. Talk to a lot of people in this, who are in this province on holiday, and as you know and I know, they can't rent a car, and that is just... One lady told me she could have rented a car from a car rental agency here in the city, and it was $2,100 for a week. Imagine. <laughs> I mean, and it's not cheap still to fly home. I'm coming home next week again for a few days. It is not cheap. You keep adding up the costs. It's going to become cost prohibitive for people, particularly families. It's all right if you're going one or two, but you got four, you got five, you got a big brood. It's it's a lot. Anyway, got to leave it there, Doc. Good to talk to you. You take care of yourself and get after those politicians in Ottawa. I'm glad to hear that the Liberal government is and, and Trudeau is waning in popularity. Way to All go. Right. He doesn't like Newfoundland and Labrador, <laughs> guaranteed. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Uh, that's Doc O'Keefe. Thanks, everybody. Great show today. Thank you to Dave Williams. Patty will be back tomorrow. For now, I'm Tim Powers. That's VOCM's Open Line.